0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Fair Voice. I am your host, Hannah Syriac. Fair Voice is affiliated with Fair Mormon, but my opinions do not necessarily represent the opinions of Fair Mormon in the organization or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. Welcome to today's Sunday special. I'm so excited for today. We're going to be talking about theology, but the way that we're going to be doing it is interesting and a bit unexpected. I had someone reach out to me and say, hey Hannah, for a podcast idea, what you should do is talk about your experience with Catholicism, your experience coming from Catholicism to the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, speak a bit about how you view Catholicism, and i I, I thought about this and I thought it would be a really great way to talk about theology because a lot of the reasons I am a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have to do with theology expressly, not just with you know, social acceptance and love and kindness, as many people cite as their reasons for why they felt warm and welcome in the community. But for me, one of the most compelling things was the theology that the church presents. So I'm really excited to speak to that, to speak a bit about my own journey, and then to have a fun little spiritual thought. I I love these Sunday specials, and I'm glad that a lot of you do too. A lot of you have reach out to me and say that they're really fun to listen to with your family on Sundays. And I appreciate that that's an activity that you engage in. As usual, if you have anything that you would like me to talk about, please email me at hseariac at fairmormon.org. That is hseariac at fairmormon.org. We're going to do an awesome series on Book of Mormon Historicity. We'll talk a bit about the Bible. We'll talk about some of the proclamations too that have come out recently. And it'll be really interesting. And I'm really planning something special for General Conference. And I am so excited about that. That should be super fun. But... Let me know what you want to talk about next. Those are what I have going on. And please listen to the last interview that I did with Joseph Lowell. And Joseph Lowell talks a bit about worldview apologetics, which is this idea that you don't have to just believe one truth claim, but you can have faith in truth claims because you believe other truth claims, which is a big reason why I am a member of the church. So I'm going to start by talking a bit about my background. I come from... A household that has a difference of religion. So my mom and my dad are divorced. My mom is a practicing member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but was Catholic for most of her life. And my dad, on the other hand, was baptized Catholic, grew up Catholic, but now identifies as spiritual but not religious and believes in deity, um, does not adhere to a religion. So um, not truly agnostic, I feel like agnostic has kind of come to mean um, not religious, but it really does mean you don't know. Um, So I I try not to use that term improperly. Um, I feel like many of the time we say atheists are people who don't believe in God and then agnostics are are people who believe in God but not in religion. But agnostic truly is someone who doesn't know um, whether or not God exists and whether or not they would like to be religion. And not all religions have God as a figurehead. Um, Buddhism does not um, that's a big example, but that's beside the point. So, I grew up in an interesting way. So, my parents are divorced. So, I, I spent a lot of time at church. My mom, um, her parents are very Catholic, and then my dad's parents are very Catholic. I spent a lot of time in religious ceremonies. Um, I was baptized Catholic. I received my first communion. Uh, I was baptized, at, obviously, as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter day Saints. And as I think back on the years that I was Catholic, and I also think back at my experience at a Catholic college, some of you might know, I actually attended Catholic college for a year. Right after high school, I decided that I wanted to attend the College of the Holy Cross. At this point in my life, I was—I I could say that I strongly identified as Christian. Um, and I was really seeking and Catholicism seemed to be the place for me, um, at the time. I really liked a lot of what Catholics do in terms of high church. And I still like high church a lot. I liked high church. I liked hymns. And I, what drew me to Catholicism a lot, not beyond the fact that, you know, a lot of my family is Catholic, is um, the idea of the sacraments. I liked that, and I liked the idea of adoration, because I find that those are really effective ways to worship the Savior. I was really impressed, and still am, by men and women who would give their entire lives to serving the Savior, and that's something that really stood out to me the most, was this idea that you could become a religious sister or a nun, there's... Difference Um, just for definition's sake, a religious sister tends to be not cloistered, which means that she is out and about and doing active work for the community. A good example of this is Sisters for Life, they are based in New York City and they do a lot of pro life work, versus a nun, and a nun is someone who is cloistered, so they stay within an abbey, and they do their work there. Um, you could be a priest, a monk, a nun, a religious sister, you could choose to get married, you could choose to live a single life. That was really appealing to me at the time, was just the choices that you can have. And that that is what what drew me in, because I did not know what I wanted to do with my life. I, at this time, was really seeking in more ways than one. So I arrived at my Catholic college and I was really enchanted by Catholicism in so many different ways because you know, if you've, if you've gone to a religious college, you know it's different than living a religion. I've been at College of the Holy Cross now and Brigham Young University. Loved both my experiences there. Um, I've had really positive experiences at both places. Um, but you know that if you're at a religious university, there's a different set of rules that you play by, I guess. Not just, not just in terms that there's typically an honor code, but it's socially different because your religion becomes a part of your social life in a very real way. I quickly fell into a group of really awesome people that I have a lot of respect for to this day. They were a group of rather conservative politically, but also conservative socially Catholics. And this felt like a home for me because I feel like growing up in Boston as a rather religious Christian and a traditional religious Christian, there was a lot of tension between my beliefs and other people's beliefs. And I navigated that quite well, of course. You know, you don't want to make other people feel bad about what they do and do not believe. I don't think that's the point of religion or politics. The point is to be able to speak freely. So I navigated that water, but it was really nice for me to find like-minded individuals. I hadn't had that as much growing up. Um, And I loved my friends, too, in high school, military. School and I still talk to some of them, but there was definitely that difference of opinion on a lot of things, and it was really nice for me to have a group of people that were like-minded like me. But really, what happened to me over over that experience when I was there, when I was I was going to mass every single week, um, and I just I I fell in love with Catholicism even more than I had before, and I don't know why. But there was something about high church that really drew it drew me in, but it didn't change me. And I say that not in a disparaging way, because I think oftentimes when we talk about other religions, and I don't think that we should, I think that religions, all types of religions have the power to change people. I do think that the light of Christ shines in every single religion and that there are good and righteous things in these religions. And that these religions, you know, when, when we say good and righteous things, that sounds kind of trite because it's typically followed up with, but they have things wrong or they don't have the complete truth. And to be honest with you, I do obviously believe that, right? That's the reason I'm in, I'm in the church is I do think that the church is right for, more so than other religions but at the same time i find it really useful to see the positive ways that other religions can bring us closer to christ and with my own personal story which we'll get into a bit more after i read something i really do think that catholicism led me to the church entirely i I would never deny that so what i'm about to read just so you know is the statement of the first presidency regarding god's love for all mankind and it reads Based upon upon ancient and modern revelation, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints gladly teaches and declares the Christian doctrine that all men and women are brothers and sisters, not only by blood relationship from common mortal progenitors but also as literal spirit children of an eternal father the great religious leaders of this world such as muhammad confucius and the reformers as well as philosophers including socrates plato and others received a portion of god's light Moral truths were given to them by God to enlighten whole nations and to bring a higher level of understanding to individuals. The Hebrew prophets prepared the way for the coming of Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah who should provide salvation for all mankind who believe in the gospel. Consistent with these truths, we believe that God has given and will give to all people sufficient knowledge to help them on their way to eternal salvation, either in this life or the life to come. We also declare that the gospel of Jesus Christ, restored to his church in our day provides the only way to our mortal life of happiness and a fullness of joy forever for those who have not received this gospel the opportunity will come to them in the life hereafter if not in this life Our message, therefore, is one of special love and concern for the eternal welfare of all men and women, regardless of religious belief, race, or nationality, knowing that we are truly brothers and sisters because we are sons and daughters of the same Eternal Father, signed Spencer W. Kimball, N. Eldon Tanner, and Marion G. Romney. End quote. So this is, again, the first presidency statement from 1978. And I think there are a lot of really interesting and important things to hone in on when we talk about other religions, which is that, one, they received a portion of God's light, and that's really important. But two, also, (laughs) that we believe that God has given people sufficient knowledge to help them on their way to eternal life and eternal salvation. So for me personally... I really do believe that my journey through Catholicism enabled me to have a journey in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Without Catholicism, I would not have understood the church, I would not have grown to love the church, and I would not be able to be a member, if that makes sense. That, that's a very basic way of putting it. I would not have been a member. So why is this the case? As I mentioned, my group of friends was really helpful for me. My my Catholic group of friends at my first Catholic college because I hadn't yet met people who took their religious beliefs to that level of Of intellect, I hadn't met people who were willing to spend their time debating things, spend their time figuring out what is truth, having these deep philosophical conversations that I knew I wanted to have. I always enjoyed those in high school and middle school, but I didn't have a consistent group of people to have these conversations with just because interests differ and things like that. So once I fell into this group of people, we had a lot of really great conversations about theology. We talked about metaphysics. I first became exposed to a lot of religious thinking. I became exposed to First Things, a journal that I grew to really love. And I was given a lot of different books to read. I was give, uh, One of the books that always I will always remember is I was given Conscience and its Enemies by Robert P. George that helped me to see the way that my Christian faith was not something that existed in isolation. That there were absolute moral standards that I could grow to understand. And that became a really big pursuit for me, especially within Catholicism. I really liked the Catholic tradition of education. Um, I I went to a Jesuit college, so Jesuits are Really well known for being great scholars, for being able to discern truth in a very interesting way. And I have a lot of respect for that tradition. So when I was at this Catholic college, I really started to think about a career in religious education and religious scholarship. But of course, I was thinking about it in terms of Catholicism and not in terms of the church. Where this really took me was down this journey where I was confronted with a question that I hadn't had to answer um, I, I had a really great professor. This is one of my favorite stories from my life so far. My, my life's been good so far. I'm grateful to God for that. I had a great professor who was Jewish. And that's an important part of the story. And he taught me in a class that was called Encountering the Barbarian and Encountering Ourselves. In this class, we read several texts such as The Heart of Darkness, such as Tolstoy's a Confession, etc., to understand the way that people looked at other people back then, understand the way that people do it today, to try to determine what drives people, what motivates people, what do people introspect with themselves. We read a lot of Nietzsche too, which was really great, some Euripides, some classical thinkers like Plato and Aristotle, and I was really captivated by all of the different things that we got to read. We read a ton in that class, but I remember reading one work that changed me forever, and that was Tolstoy's A Confession. For those of you who are unfamiliar with Tolstoy's A Confession, there will be a spoiler in here, so please exit out if you would like to read this philosophical treatise instead of having me summarize it to you. I read it for the first time, and it's basically, um, you can tell that it's autobiographical, but it's not set up that way. Um, It it describes a man's faith journey. He goes from being orthodox to non-believing to atheist then he has a moment where he sees god and he sees god in the clouds it's it's a, it's in a dream it's a very interesting moment and then after that he reverts back to being a member of the orthodox church decides that he does not see god present in these sacraments decides that god's love for mankind cannot be seen in these in these elements and then becomes a Non denominational Christian of sorts. And it, it's reflective of Tolstoy. That's the point of it. And I read this book. Um, it's a very thin book. My copy was 97 pages. It's a very thin book. And I read it and reread it and reread it because there was one claim that stood out to me so much, which was that the organized religious structure excluded people and that wasn't reflective of God. That was what really struck me is the distaste that he had for orthodoxy and I have read, as some of you have noticed, a lot of St. Augustine. I love St. Augustine. I know that that's a rather controversial opinion. Um, it's probably because I was Catholic, but love St. Augustine. I love confessions. I love a lot of what he does there. And I think especially his sections on music are very effective. But the Augustinian in me was really disappointed by the outcome of this journey. But I strived to understand it. That's what really drove me is I just decided I was going to read this so many times and try to understand where Tolstoy was coming from, why he drew the conclusions that he did, and why I seemed to derive different conclusions than him, even though we had very similar thoughts. Um, I struggled a lot with the idea of religion as exclusive, as many of you have, I am sure. And the conclusion that I came to is that we don't We are the only ones who exclude ourselves. God does not ever exclude us, but we through our actions can exclude ourselves from the work of God. But that's beside the point. So anyways, I had the lovely pleasure of reading this book several times and then something changed within me. I felt driven to try to explain things to Tolstoy, which is impossible because I I don't know Tolstoy, obviously. Um, So my professor came to me after class because I was really staunch about defending my positions in class and I was very outspoken and this professor and I just got along really well he saw me as a very passionate person and obviously professors really like when you're passionate about their classes pro tip so my my professor came to me and said hey Hannah for your final exam instead of doing what I ask you to typically do I want you to respond to Tolstoy and I said sure I'll respond to Tolstoy can totally do that (laughs) And then this project consumed me because one of the questions that my professor asked me was, how do you know that you are right? This question really changed everything to me. How do I know that I am right? And I'm sure that we've all had an experience that we, you know, like how do, we, how do we know deep down inside that what we are doing is what God would have us do? This question plagued me. And what I did is I checked out Oh, I don't even know how many books. I checked out a ton of books from the library. And for three weeks, I poured over reading them. I did nothing else. You can ask my friends at the time. I did not eat. I did not sleep. I maybe went to the gym on occasion. And I went to class. And when I was not in class, I was reading. I did literally nothing else for three weeks. And it was one of the best three weeks in my life. It was really instructive. And then I spent an entire week, and I will remember that I think it was actually eight days. I spent eight days writing. Uh, writing my response. And my response ended up being around 87 pages. I, I say around. And my response was 87 pages, plus a bibliography, which, pro tip, if you give that to your professor during finals week, probably won't appreciate it. My professor, luckily, was um, <laughs> the, the sort that was like, okay, Hannah, like, that's, that's pretty rad that you did that. That's very gutsy, but never do that again, is what he told me. I got an A on it. But my response to Tolstoy became part of my journey of faith because I started to question my own theological assumptions, especially around the Godhead. The Godhead was the key issue for me because I had construed God as as a Trinitarian God, naturally, because of Catholicism, but also because It seemed logical to me and I understand that a lot of people will misportray the Trinity as entirely illogical. I don't think the Trinity is illogical. Do I think it's hard to understand? Sure. And anyone who claims that they perfectly understand the Trinity would be in heresy according to Catholic and Orthodox doctrine. But I do think the Trinity is emblematic for a relationship with God in the sense that the Trinity provides us with this, this understanding that we have so much distance between us and God that we can't understand his form, but we can understand his being and the meaning behind his being. And that's what really stood out to me, was the meaning behind his being. So as I grew older and thought about the Godhead, the Trinity was the conclusion I reached based on the readings that I had done on metaphysics, the early Christian fathers that I have read. I'm, I was really, really influenced by St. Ignatius, that was a big influence for me, of Antioch, but I will say also later on of of Loyola influenced me too. And the Trinity became a really interesting concept for me because I started exploring what others thought about the Godhead. And I started asking myself questions such as, how can I have a personal relationship with God who identifies in different forms? How can I come to know God through the scriptures are the scriptures the way to come to know god and after asking so many questions like this i embarked on a journey that was really beautiful that i haven't really talked about that much which was the writing of a treatise this treatise is a very fascinating document i started off writing it when i wrote that paper that paper was the basis for it but the 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 essence of it was an apologetic work for the Catholic Church. That was the essence of it. But I was particularly fascinated by the claims of the church and I was particularly fascinated by the claims of evangelicals. So it was really I say it was apologetic, but there was a lot of there was a lot of attacking on my part of other religions within that treatise I never published it and you'll find out why by the end. So I started writing this treatise in which I was exploring these topics and my perspective was I couldn't simply start with a conclusion in mind. I originally had planned to do it as as an apologetic piece for the Catholic Church, but then I decided, no, we don't need to do it that way. We can do it as uh, we can do it in a better form. The goal of it was actually to start from no assumptions. And obviously, you can't do that. Like, you know, we always have assumptions. But the goal of it was to come as close to a blank slate as possible. So I started with the presupposition that nothing existed. And I built a philosophical argument from there. And this experience was really groundbreaking for me because over the course of writing and researching, while trying to be an apologist for the Catholic Church, I discovered I didn't believe the Catholic Church. And I believed the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So I ended up at BYU, and now I'm here doing something similar to what I did, but doing it in better faith. And when I say that, I mean my personal experience, while I was trying to defend the Catholic Church, I felt off. I'm not saying that everyone feels off, and I think that that's unfair too. I I think it'd be unfair for me to speak to anyone's experience but my own, but I felt off. I felt like I was doing something wrong. I knew that the catholic church wasn't true but i didn't believe that it wasn't true for me i wanted to believe the catholic church so strongly because there were so many factors that were coloring my decision but ultimately i was not changed by the catholic church i was a pretty bad person um i mean we say that and, you know, we look at other people and we compare ourselves and we think, oh, I wasn't that bad compared to them or I was worse compared to them. But I'll be honest with you. I didn't think I was the greatest person, especially my first year of college and into my second year of college. It wasn't really until I gave my heart and my mind to Jesus Christ as emphasized and understood and defined by the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints that I personally experienced any real change. That's when I was able to become a better person. That's when I was able to put off my natural woman. And that's when I was able to stop my bad habits. That's really what did it for me. But here's the thing. Other people have different experiences. And I'm okay with that. And I think we, we should be. Because when people ask me, you know, Hannah, like, you are out there. You're defending the church. How do you know that it's true? And for me, that answer was a lot of searching. It was a lot of reading. It was a lot of understanding. And it was a lot of striving to be my best self and discovering that I am my best self when I'm in Christ's church. And for me, I believe that Christ's church is the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But without Catholicism, without my upbringing, without my decision to go to a Catholic college, without my decision to learn so much about Catholicism from people who studied it for years, without all of that, I would not be here. I would not be in the church because the Catholic church taught me so much about what it means to be a Christian. And that was what really struck home for me, is what it means to be a Christian. So When I think about the Catholic Church, I have a lot of positive feelings towards that. I have a lot of positive feelings towards most religions. The religions I don't have positive feelings towards are the ones I have neutral feelings towards because I don't really understand them. I haven't been able to study a lot of them. So that that tends to happen, you know, as with anyone. But what I have come to understand about my perspective to other religions is that I really do believe that Christ meets us where we're at. Just like the First Presidency Statement says that on our path to eternal life you know i do believe eternal life ultimately comes from the church i believe it comes from the church because i believe that christ's atonement gave us specific ordinances that are manifest in the church that develop our personal relationship with christ in a way that is necessary that's how i construe that but i do think on our own personal journeys sometimes the church will not be the final mortal destination that we have or it might be Or a different religion might be the method of leading us to Christ. For me, Catholicism was it. Without Catholicism, I would not have grown in love towards religion generally. And that's where I really struggled, especially when I was younger, because... I saw so many different religions. I saw the effects that they had on people. And I also saw that some people were living happy and good lives without religion. The question naturally came to my mind, as it does for pretty much everyone that I know, is why do we need religion to be a good person? And I don't think we need religion to be a good person. But for me, my morality and philosophy naturally aligns with the churches. And what I mean by that is I discovered through the process of trying to understand the world around me, trying to understand what is objective and what is subjective, that a lot of my natural inclinations were aligned with the church's positions. And that was very surprising for me because I was really turned off by the church for a long time. So that's really how I kind of came to understand the way that God works. And so now you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with theology? And the reason I want to talk about theology now, just for a little bit before we transition into our little devotional, is I think theology is critical for helping us understand our own religious perspective and religious worldviews. So when I say that, when I say theology, I'm referring to, at its basis, obviously theology means the study of God, but it means the study of the nature of God and religious belief. For me, theology is so important because whether or not you're studying just our theology or other churches theology or other religions theology, I think we grow in appreciation for the way that God works. That's what it came down to for me, is being able to study theology, being able to see the way that my personal philosophy aligned with Latter-day Saint theology enabled me to discern how much light God gives to his children. And that was a beautiful experience for me, seeing that god cares about people of other religions and that we need not be afraid of gathering truth from other people i believe truth exists in all religions and i believe that all religions have good things to them i believe that there are important tidbits of knowledge and light and wisdom that we can gain through our study of other religions and that's not threatening to me as a believer. And I think a lot of the time we view it as threatening. We view the study of other religions as something that's negative because we think that if we study another religion more than we study our own, that we will end up in a worse place. And, you know, for me, I, I do believe in devotion to my to my God and to my church's perception of God. I think that that's really important to point out. Um, I, I do believe that that's tantamount. That's what's most important to me. That's why I do Latter-day Saint. Theology. That's what I'm striving to do as a career. But at the same time, I think learning about other religions and learning about other belief systems enables us to have a greater love for God's children. We cannot love when we do not understand. Hate is born out of ignorance, love is born out of understanding. The atonement of Christ functions in a perfect way because it enables us to understand our brothers and sisters. The atonement of Christ, when Christ was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he felt all of our griefs, pains, and afflictions, when he experienced our sins, he developed perfect empathy for us. It wasn't merely that he turned our sins into something good. It was not merely that he consecrated it. It was that Christ understands me and you in a dramatic way, and that dramatic way of understanding us is something that we can too experience on the earth. Christ understands what it's like to be to be you. Christ understands what it's like to be your neighbor. He understands what it's like to be every single person that has ever lived and ever will live. And for me, the dramatic truth of the atonement of Christ and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is that we don't need to think that we are less than or we are more than another people. Because Christ enables all understanding for us. And that's just one of the beautiful truths of the gospel that I have come to appreciate is that no matter where I am, no matter who I'm with, I can remember that God understands them perfectly and I can draw upon God's perfect knowledge. So let's talk a little bit about the role in theology in giving us comfort in basically trying to be a better person. Um, and gives us comfort in trying to live our religion. Our Latter Day Saint theology encompasses a God who has the following characteristics. Okay, so this God is the type of God who will establish a way for everyone to hear the gospel. This God is the type of God who loves justice but also loves mercy. This type, of, this God, is the type of God who gave us a savior to understand us perfectly, who is trying to understand where we are and is meeting us where we're at. This God will run back to us as in the parable of the prodigal son when we take one step forward to him. I think these characteristics of God are so important because they show us the type of God he is. My understanding of God theologically enables me to have greater appreciation for other faiths because I have been secured in my knowledge and understanding of God. What I mean by that is I believe in a God who wants everyone to love each other, who wants everyone to be kind to each other, who wants everyone to live like his son did. That's the kind of god i believe in and that kind of god has given everyone a portion of light something something of understanding something of understanding the nature of god whether or not we're conscious of it something of goodness to bring to this earth and our job i think as human beings but especially as latter-day saints is to recognize the good that everyone has to offer to the world so often when we focus on these theological issues we focus on the differences and i i saw an article the other day online i forget who wrote it that says that we shouldn't exaggerate the similarities and i agree with that I, I do think we have to strike a balance but so often we focus on the differences between our god and other people's gods that we we forget that god is the same god even though we have different characteristics and descriptions of him We believe in God and that idea should be unifying. And even though we have differences in opinions, we have differences in worldviews, we have differences in morality, we have differences in a whole host of things with religious and non-religious people, even though, even though that happens, regardless of that happening, I think one of the most important things that we can do is recognize the good that people have to offer the world and focus in on that because Christ's atonement made it so that we can experience good through all circumstances and that all things might be consecrated for our good, right? So we, we read that scripture that God makes everything work together for our good. And I think what that means in large part as a personal application is that God will take me who had a great love for Catholicism and still has great love for Catholicism and used me and my unique ways to build his kingdom. Even if I was not a member of the church, I would still be able to build the kingdom of God as we read in that First Presidency statement. So when we talk about the way that we approach other religions, I think what's tantamount to recognize is what is said in the First Presidency Statement, which is namely that the type of God that we have theology around, the type of God that we understand to exist, is a God who looks at other religions kindly, but who sees the Church of Jesus Christ, of Latter-day Saints, as the path to eternal life. That's really what's going on here, is that it's not that other religions are merely good. It's that other religions can enable us to be led to eternal life through the Church of Jesus Christ, the Latter-day Saints. And at this point, I would like to actually read my testimony again. So I've, re- I've done this before, but my testimony has obviously changed, and I, I feel like it's a really good fit for what we have been talking about before I transition into our next conversation, which should be really great. Um, And our next conversation is just going to be a devotional. The Holy Spirit has whispered to me that God knows me and he created me, that I existed before I was formed in matter unintelligible to me clearly, and that God formed me into a spirit and gave me a body to come to earth. He offered me glimpses into life before mortality and assured me that he made my work and purpose known to me then and that I lovingly volunteered for and accepted the life I lead now. In moments of doubt and confusion, God has intervened and reminded me that no matter how much doubt and confusion swirls around me, that I might find light in him and in knowing that he has a hand in my life. Through priesthood blessings and personal revelation, I have been taught that the Lord has raised me up in particular circumstances and that every detail of my life has prepared me to minister to his children. After studying the scriptures and hearing the good news of Christ and his atonement, the Spirit has testified to me that the atonement is real. Through my experiences of falling so far from the glory of God, being marred and unrecognizable by sin, distancing myself from God in such a way that took so much time to correct i have seen the atonement of christ work so clearly in my life i have experienced real change of becoming a better person and receiving comfort when i needed it most but deserved it least i have had experiences ministering to god's children my brothers and sisters where god has given me specific knowledge of how i can best help them as he has promised me in my patriarchal blessing i have had moments where pure intelligence Information that I had no way of knowing has entered my mind and allowed me to express compassion and charity to individuals to bring God's love into their lives. I have had impressions directly from God to wake up and check on someone in moments of dire need in the middle of the night or to walk a specific way on campus or to call someone every time God was right. The Lord has instilled in me a great love and a great reliance upon the scriptures. I had a moment of great conversion where I read Moroni 741 and felt the power of God so strongly in my life that I could not deny it. God invited me to directly change my life, repent and come unto Christ. And he provided me a way to do that and the sweetest forgiveness of sins I could ever experience. The canon of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is true in every sense. The records occurred in the way that they are described, and the principles taught their lead to eternal life. Modern prophets and apostles are called of God to bring us closer to Christ and to preach correct doctrine. I believe that Joseph Smith really did see God, find and translate the Book of Mormon, and restore the priesthood of God to the earth. All prophets that follow him are also called of God. I am grateful for them and believe that all proclamations they have made are uncanonized scripture and are true. During General Conference, I have had two moments that stand out to me the most. At a moment where I was struggling to repent because I valued my habits more than I valued the Lord, I heard the talk, Repentance is Always Positive, by Stephen Owen, and his call to not delay repentance saved my spiritual life. More recently, Elder Anderson's talk, Spiritually Defining Moments, spoke to my soul because I had a reoccurring spiritual impression that I was downing. That talk perfectly catered to my needs. And God consecrated it for me so that I can understand his will and, and purpose for me. I believe that the temple have the ordinances with power to save and exalt us. The power there is priesthood power connected irrevocably to the atonement of Jesus Christ. Going through the temple for the first time made me concerned about the truthfulness of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ but as I studied the history of temples and went with new eyes, the Lord instructed me the temples were restored properly to the earth by Joseph Smith. I have grown to love the temple and know that these temples give us the opportunity to make sacred covenants, covenants that guide and structure our lives so that we can best show God our love for him. It is necessary that we repent and are baptized so that we might experience the joy of Jesus Christ with open minds and hearts. I am grateful that Jesus Christ died for you and I know that Jesus Christ performed the atonement beginning in the Garden of Gethsemane and culminating on the cross. He lived to preach righteousness to the people, encouraging others to live pure lives, reveal the principles behind the law of Moses, so that we might become a more loving, holier, and more righteous people. I know that Jesus Christ prepared a way for all of us to follow him. I believe that he spoke to prophets and apostles and still speaks to them today so that we might know that he is the christ after much study and consideration i know and believe that the church of jesus christ of latter-day saints is the church that jesus christ established here on the earth and that joseph smith restored it it is true i have come nearer to god by following jesus christ through his church By learning from the sacred scriptures and prophets and apostles, by partaking of the ordinances and covenants here, my testimony of the church is so strong because it is through this church that I was able to change and become better. My other experiences with religion did not lead me to the same conviction and sanctity that the church has. This is because Jesus Christ is present in all the ordinances and teachings here. My testimony evolves over time, but of these things I am absolutely certain. God knew you before you existed. He formed you. He placed you on the earth and to to learn how Jesus Christ, lived and to follow jesus christ that jesus christ died for you and lived his life as a ministry to teach us how to balance justice with mercy to arise as more compassionate charitable and righteous people that joseph smith restored the church to the earth that the works of the scriptures are true that prophets and apostles are called of god that jesus christ's atonement works for you today and always that god loves you and that the church is true my experience, a mixture of ministering, temple work, personal revelation, sin that the Lord has washed away, scripture study, considering life's big questions, looking into other religions, trying different ways of living, experimenting upon the words of the Book of Mormon, and constructing my faith as objectively as possible, which, you know, is hard, um, has led me to this belief and knowledge. I love the Lord Jesus Christ, God, and the Holy Spirit. There are three personages in this Godhead, and they all have become my family as I always was family to them through my acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He will come again, and I will meet him. I will have the opportunity to inadequately express my deep love and gratitude for his sacrifice and for all that he hath given me. The Lord has shown to me, no matter what happens to me or no matter what I do, that he will consecrate everything for my good. I love him more than I thought was possible, and he teaches me how to love his children a little bit more each day. I testify that all of this is true, and I also testify of the truthfulness that exists in other religions. I think that as we approach theology and apologetics, we might be more sensitive, myself included, to other religious people and other non-religious people. I truly believe that most people are good. I truly believe that most people are striving to follow the morality, the good that they see, and striving to become better people. And while we might differ and disagree on what it means to be a good person, what it means to be a moral person, we can all rally around the idea that we have something to offer the world and that what we have is unique and what we have is good and what we have can lead to god if we allow god to consecrate it i am so grateful for the restored gospel of jesus christ i am so grateful that jesus christ has revealed to me that this is where he is that this is his church and that it is true and i am absolutely certain of that If you are struggling with your testimony, I invite you to lean on mine and I invite you to read the words of the Book of Mormon to better understand what the Lord means when He says that all men can live forever if they follow Him. And of these things I testify in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. But don't go away quite yet. I know you were like, maybe she's done. Oh, I'm not done. Don't worry. What we're going to talk about now is general conference. I'm going to talk a bit about one of my favorite conference talks, and I'm going to do this on every single episode until general conference. When I said I had some general conference-y things for you, I was sincere. I had some general conference-y things for you. So I'm going to talk about general conference, and the way that I'm going to do it today is I'm just going to open up by speaking about what I do to prepare for conference, and these ideas are not all my own. Um, I have acquired them over the course of many, many months, Um, so please bear with me on these ideas and this shall be a good time. So the first thing that I do to prepare for general conference is I read all of the talks from last general conference. That's a pretty basic idea, but for me it's really helpful because I am better able to understand what it is the Lord was focusing on during that conference and I'm able to see a pattern and see what I need to improve about my life. The second thing that I do, and this is very unique to me, um, this is what I like doing. I like picking a topic to study from general conference talks. So my topic, I'll be completely transparent with you guys this year. Uh, My topic for this general conference has been, how can I help the poor and needy more? The reason I selected this topic is as you know, I'm a master's student in college right now, so I, I attend Brigham Young University. I love it there. And I'm just going to say, like, just quick shout out to, I know some of my professors actually do listen to this because they told me that they do, but it's really true. I do really love my professors. I love all my professors. I've had the best professors this semester. I, I've had the best professors throughout my, my career. I've been really blessed and really lucky with the professors that I've had, and I'm just so grateful for them. So my professors, if you're listening, and I know some of you are because you told me, I like you guys a lot. You guys are great. But anyway, so what I like to do is pick a topic. So my topic is how to help the poor and needy. That's really hard for me. I'm going to be completely honest with you because I consider myself poor. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm very privileged to be able to go to college. Um, however, I do work multiple jobs, so I understand that it's hard. Um, so... I've been praying and fasting for revelation around that, for seeing specific ways that I can give back more to to bless other people's lives while still maintaining my own in a productive and healthy way. And I have been really, really touched by several conference talks, especially by Elder Holland. I think Elder Holland has a really a lot of really good things to say about that. Another thing that I like to do before conference is what I like to call my six-month inventory. So this is really effective to start this conference and continue next conference, but I'll explain what I do. Between every single general conference sessions, I write down where I'm at spiritually. I write down the concerns that I have. I write down the habits that I would like to change, the habits that I've been doing well take inventory of it and ask some questions throughout the general conference session of what tips and tricks can I use to improve upon these things. And then I do the same thing after I evaluate the last general conference sessions worth of tips, if that makes sense. So I'll have my little introspective notes from April and I'll read those the weekend before conference and I'll say, okay, Hannah, let's make some more introspective notes and let's compare and contrast where you were at last time. And I use general conference in the same way that I use you know the sacrament as an opportunity to have a time to check in with god a time to check in with myself um i do this every week with the sacrament but and i do it daily too but using general conference as A way to set long term goals has been really effective for me. So I really like doing that. Another thing that I like doing before general conference, too, is I like picking one prophet or apostle and reading all of the talks by them. Um, And that's very helpful for me. So this year, um, as you might have guessed, I picked Elder Holland because his topics aligned really well with what I wanted to read. And I also just really like elder holland i mean who doesn't like elder holland i think elder holland is an amazing man they're all amazing but i just really like elder holland so read a lot of elder holland in preparation for general conference something else that i like to do in preparation for general conference too is to kind of optimize my note-taking strategy i'm really good with taking notes that's why i'm in college but what i like to do is i have multiple different columns and They're like, personal revelation, what the speaker said, quotes that they brought up, citations, because I really like being able to review those immediately after and looking at their context, looking at how it connects to what they were saying, considering these more deeply. And that's been really effective for me, too, because it allows me to have a guided scripture study immediately after, and I really like that. The last tip and trick that I have for preparing for general conference is to get your stuff done beforehand. This is really hard in college. I get it. But making sure that I finish everything beforehand so that my mind and my heart can be completely dedicated to General Conference that weekend is so important to me. I love listening to General Conference, not gonna lie. I dork out about it so much. I just, I love listening to Prophets and Apostles talk. I love listening to Sisters from Relief Society and Primary talk too. I love, and young women's and young men's, I love being able to come closer to God in that way. And I do really feel like Jesus Christ. Speaks to me a lot through general conference talks. Every single general conference talk, like every single, yeah, every single, I can say every single talk. Every single talk that's given in general conference is a slam spiritually for me. It's you know reading scriptures is really effective for me too. I love reading scriptures and I gain a lot of personal revelation for them. But reading general reading general conference talks and especially listening to them, um, God just answers all of my questions within like a minute i remember last general conference i had a list of like 20 questions and i kid you not god answered all of them in the first few minutes and i was like okay well guess we need some more questions So, oh, I guess I lied. There's one more thing that I like to do. I like to ask a hundred questions. I have faith that God will answer my absurd number of questions, but asking a hundred questions has been super helpful for me because I am better able to understand what I'm struggling with, what is on my heart, and, and it's become a kind of prayer for me. So those are my tips for general conference talks. Send me your tips though. I want to hear your tips and I will I will acquire more tips from more people. I've acquired some already. Um, I just wanted to open up by sharing what I do. But yeah, I'll acquire a ton of tips from people. But I would love, I would love it if y'all sent send me some of your tips. Before I talk about the general conference talk that I selected for today, I'm also going to announce a new segment of this. I am so excited. So, you know, it was suggested to me by someone I love very dearly that i should do a q and I should do a q and a segment so this q and a segment will be very interesting and i hope that it goes well <laughs> um this q and a segment will essentially be where you guys can send me questions via my uh, email address which is h s e a r i a c at fairmormon.org or I know a lot of you like to interact with me via social media. I have seen that that's the case, which is totally fine. Um, you can also ask me on social media. Um, but you can ask me any question that is related to the church, related to the gospel, related to what I study. What I study is religious stuff. I do like ancient scripture really things mixed with classics. So you can ask me any of these questions and I'll answer them. Um, Send me your questions, though. For real, send me your questions. You can ask me questions about, hey, like, what do you think Joseph Smith meant when he said this? And I will pour some time into making sure that I get you not only, you know, like my opinion, which I don't think is really that relevant, but getting you the wealth of other opinions, doing some research for it. I will dedicate an hour per question. So that's a lot of time for for a question. Um, and if the question requires more than an hour, I'll probably give it more than an hour too. So let me know what you want to ask me. I'll put this in the description as well. You can think about it for a while, but let's 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 get this going, you know? And you can send little messages too that I'll read on the show. Um I think it should be really fun. I'm super excited to see what questions y'all have for me. But the final segment is the talk that I want to talk about. So I'll be pretty brief with this because this is already kind of a long episode, but that's okay. We love to hear it. So the talk is, Are We Not All Beggars by Elder Holland? This is all time one of my favorite talks too. But I wanted, what I want to do, read a couple quotes from it. Just talk about it real briefly. And then we shall close. This is, this is my favorite. This is my favorite talk, as I said before. We read, Thus, the Savior made the first public announcement of his messianic ministry. But this verse also made clear that on the way to his ultimate atoning sacrifice and resurrection, Jesus's first and foremost messianic duty would be to bless the poor, including the poor in spirit. From the beginning of his ministry, Jesus loved the impoverished and the disadvantaged in an extraordinary way. And then we keep on reading further down below. In our day, the restored Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints had not yet seen its first anniversary when the Lord commanded members to look to the poor and needy and administer to their relief so that they shall not suffer. Notice the imperative of that passage. They shall not suffer. That is language when God uses when the Lord means business. And then further down, we keep reading. For one thing, we can, as King Benjamin taught, cease withholding our means because we see the poor as having brought their misery upon themselves. Perhaps some have created their own difficulties, but don't the rest of us do exactly the same thing? Isn't that why this compassionate ruler asks, are we not all beggars? Do we not all cry out for hope?" Sorry, for help and hope and answers to prayers? Don't we all beg for forgiveness for mistakes we have made and troubles we have caused? Don't we all implore that grace will compensate for our weaknesses and that mercy will triumphant over justice, at least in our case? Little wonder that King Jen- Benjamin says that we obtain a remission of our sins by pleading to God who compassionately responds, but we retain a remission of our sins by compassionately responding to the poor who plead to us. And then we continue to read further down. Sorry, I'm scrolling. In that regard, I pay a personal tribute to President Thomas Spencer Monson. I have been blessed by an association with this man for 47 years, and the image of him I will cherish until I die is of him flying home from then economically devastated East Germany in his house slippers because he had given away not only his second suit and extra shirts, but the very shoes off his feet. How beautiful upon the mountains, and shuffling through an airline terminal, are the feet of him that bringeth good tidings, that publisheth peace. More than any man I know, President Monson has done all he could, for the widow and the fatherless, the poor and oppressed. And in 1831 revelation to the prophet Joseph Smith, the Lord said the poor would one day see the kingdom of God coming to deliver them in power and great glory. May we help fulfill that prophecy by coming in the power and glory of our membership in the true church of Jesus Christ to do what we can to deliver any we can from the poverty that holds them captive and destroys so many of their dreams. I pray in the merciful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. End quote. So the reason that this stands out to me so much is because I do really like Mosiah 2-5 and I like the imperative there. I do believe that Jesus Christ built her his ministry on the idea that his atonement would help us in this life and in the next life so often we focus on we focus on the next life and the next life matters greatly eternal life matters so deeply but what about this life what about our brothers and sisters who struggle to eat who struggle to be able to provide for their families who struggle to have safe places to sleep and safe places to be I think that the imperative in Mosiah two through five, the purpose of Jesus Christ's mission, in large part, is to deliver temporal welfare to people in the best way that we can. And I, I know that it's hard, I, especially during coronavirus, right? Because a lot of us have experienced economic shifts. We've seen, we've seen us lose jobs, we've seen family members lose jobs. We have seen pay cuts, We have seen, you know, like there's no milk at the grocery store, or that prices have gone up a little bit, that makes it so that groceries are slightly less affordable, which is hard because groceries are already pretty expensive. And we have seen that sometimes life throws at us difficulties that leave us temporally poor, but also poor in spirit. And I think the message that Elder Holland shares, Are We Not All Beggars?, we all ultimately depend on God. Even if we have means that are able to help deliver us, we depend on God for those because they, they come from God. But the purpose of charity is learning to love our neighbor like we love Jesus Christ. And I, the words of the poor, of a poor wayfaring man of grief come to mind to me. And I'm going to read the lyrics aloud, aloud, and then I'll say something and then I'll close a poor wayfaring man of grief hath often crossed me on my way who sued so humbly for relief that i could never answer nay i had no power to ask his name whereto he went or whence he came yet there was something in his eye that won my love i knew not why once when my scanty meal was spread he entered not a word he spake just perishing for want of bread i have him all he blessed it break and ate but gave me part again Mine was an angel's portion then. For while I fed with eager haste, the cross was manna to my taste. In prison I saw him next condemned To meet a traitor's doom at morn. The tide of lying tongues I stemmed, And honored him mid shame and scorn. My friendship's utmost zeal to try, He asked if I for him would die. The flesh was weak, My blood ran chill. But my free spirit cried, I will. Then in a moment to my view, the stranger started from disguise. The tokens in his hands I knew. The Savior stood before mine eyes. He spake in my poor name he named. Of me thou hast not been ashamed. These deeds shall thy memorial be. Fear not, thou didst them unto me. These deeds shall thy memorial be. Fear not, there didst them unto me. The reason I love this section so much is I have a story to share. I was out walking with one of my friends one night. It was a cold December night and we had just been walking around giving to people that we saw who were in need of food, some prepared food that we had made the night before. And as we were walking around, we saw a man who was lying on a bench and he barely had any, any coat. He had a sweatshirt on, but that was it. And it was freezing. It was like... It was really, really cold It's Utah, you know, it gets really super cold. And my friend, in an instant, said, hold this, Hannah, and took off his jacket and gave this person his jacket. And when he returned to me, one thing that he said to me that I will never forget is that he said he looked at him and saw Jesus Christ and felt compelled to give him his jacket. And that story to me stands out as a pure example of charity, a pure example of giving all that we have to the people around us because we know that the Lord will provide. I know that the Lord provides for me in moments where I give things to people. I have seen the Lord save my bank account after I have decided to help out people financially. I've seen the Lord put money in there that was not in there that my parents also did not give me. I have seen so many blessings from that. And I have developed a testimony and faith that the Lord knows our circumstances and needs us to lift others where we can and to structure our lives in a way that enables us to do that. So often we focus on how we are going to have fun, how we were going to do this or that. And what if we focused on how we were going to help God's children? What if that became the focus of our lives in every aspect? How would we be able to change our little corner of the world? I really do believe the Lord puts us in divine orbits in circles, where there are people who need our help and who we need their help. We are dependent on each other for a lot of different things. And I think that what Elder Holland is trying to get us to realize is that We all beg for things. What we beg for differs, but we all beg for something. I'm so grateful for the opportunity to prepare for General Conference. I'm so grateful for the words of Elder Holland. I'm grateful for you for listening to me talk on this podcast. I'm really grateful that you guys are listening. I appreciate all the support that you've given me. The support has been amazing so far. So I super appreciate it. Feel free to reach out to me and let's talk. Let's ask me your questions. I want to know what burning questions you might have shall be interesting anyways i love y'all so much and get excited we're going to talk book of mormon historicity we're going to talk about general conference a lot more don't worry and we're going to talk bible soon so it should be a good time this is hannah Syriac signing off with fair voice